Good evening and welcome to another edition of the Empire Strikes Back podcast for UK-based Yankee fans. Tonight I'm going to finish up with the last divisional preview whereby we've been looking at uh, or discussing other teams within our division and notably with the fans of those teams. And tonight uh, I'm delighted to be joined by, by a friend of mine, Joel Bailey, who is a fan of the Tampa Bay Rays. How are you doing, Joel? Even Mark. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I know you've had a busy day and we'll come on to that in, in a bit. <laughs> um, so first of all, Joel, t- tell me a bit about yourself and how you got into baseball and why the Rays. And I know you you've, you did a blog called the Four Bases blog, didn't you? Tell me a bit about that as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, so my love affair, well, I, I guess the, the best place to start is, um, I've always been a cricket fan. I grew up playing cricket. Um, that was my bat and ball sport. Um, followed it, played it, um, shadow bat, bowled in supermarkets, following mum around, used to love cricket. Um, and then, um, we went on a holiday vacation to, to Florida in, uh, the mid two thousands, um, and we're sort of looking for something to do one evening. Um, and dad suggested baseball. So we went and saw uh, the Rays against the, the Los Angeles Angels in 2007, the series, the year that they went to the World Series. Um, and I went and I didn't expect to know the rules. I didn't expect to understand it. And then just completely fell in love. Um, both me and dad did. We loved it. Um, having been to sort of cricket and test cricket and county cricket it was sort of the one thing we could compare um to baseball so it was sort of like oh do you think that would have been a six do you think he bowls quicker than the pitcher and how hard do you think it is and and we asked all these questions um and we came away and we we just loved it and then for the rest of the holiday I tuned in and followed it on um obviously local tv networks and then when we got back I followed um the Rays and it was obviously a good season to pick um the first season, the first time I'd ever been to the World Series. Um, and then from there, just became sort of captivated with it, um, followed it um, right way through sort of my teens. And then um, was at university and then got talking to um, the co-creator of Four Bases, Ben, online. We just um, were up late one night on one of these sort of Facebook pages watching baseball, got talking. Um, and then we decided, you know what, like um, he's in London, I was in London, let's meet up for a beer. We met up for a beer and we just sort of booked a, a spontaneous trip to, to New York and Boston to, to watch some baseball together. And then we, we decided that Four Bases would be a platform to um, to document our trips and to review ballparks and to put our photos up and, and more sort of a, an online journal and an online diary of our, um, of our experiences and time together. And then we, we've done four or five of these trips to various parts of the US seeing different ballparks and um I went back and read one the other day and it seems your itinerary consisted of beer baseball beer football beer baseball beer and maybe a bit more beer at the end so that was it that, would that it be was, fair yeah it was um that's exactly very very fair and um we, we had such a good time and um we've got so many good memories of sort of just not really caring and being of that young age of of not having responsibilities and going out and, and having beers and watching the baseball and um and actually yeah just sort of living to go on these trips i don't blame you sounds great and so you, basically so you chose the race because they were the first team you saw on holiday in florida effectively yeah it was uh, it was the only time i really had an affinity with 
Um, I'd played a bit of um, the PlayStation game before we'd gone to out in 2007, but struggled with it because I didn't know the players and I didn't know the teams. And the only team that you, a non-baseball fan, has really heard of is the Yankees. And I didn't really sort of warm to the Yankees. No, I shouldn't be saying this on a Yankee podcast. Um, but I, I just, I'd struggled with the sport and struggled with identifying as oh, I'm going to support these lot. And then when I went, I just fell in love with them. Longoria had come up this year or that year. I think he'd broken his wrist or something. Um, so we didn't actually see him. But um, yeah, I, there was um, Jason Bartlett. My dad loved Jason Bartlett. And then there was obviously Gaza and um, Shields. And yeah, it was just, I, I, I once I'd been, I had an affinity with with the team and the players and, uh, and the stadium, I guess. So, so tell me a bit about what, what I might call kind of the devil ray magic. And the, yes, there is a very bad pun there. What is it about the Rays that I think for us on the, on the podcast, we just have this utmost respect for what you do. What we don't, haven't you guys not read the script? Have you not read the script whereby the Yankees and the Red Sox are supposed to spend lots of money uh, and compete every year and you guys are supposed to sort of just plump up in the rear, but you don't do this. You, put, you, you pony up with a more payroll and still win the divisions. How are you guys doing it? What's the secret? I... Uh... It's a very good question, and it's a it's a question I've sort of asked myself a lot today, having traded having traded Meadows, and I think if I supported any of the other twenty nine teams, and they traded one of their star hitters, I think I would be upset or or, or angry or peeved. But you just sort of trust the process, as cliche as it sounds. Um, I just think that they're exceptional at identifying talent and talent that's not necessarily performing at the level it can um and they're very good at sort of finding players good players which are which are operating at 75 80 85 percent and then eking out that extra 10 15 20 percent whether that sometimes it's just purely by giving them a platform to play of taking a good player out of a, of a log jam where he plays once every other day or he's a platoon or and then plugging in him into a spot where he will get 350 400 at bats and then over the course of the season he just the, the production comes just by virtue of his talent I, I think the pitching they're very good at sort of identifying pitches which other teams don't necessarily like for one reason or another but that pitcher might have a, a standout pitch or a standout level of command or velocity and they're very good at sort of putting that into the right place at the right time and and give and providing a platform for that player to succeed like uh, the large makeup of the Rays um, starting lineup I guess they're all sort of a hodgepodge of guys who failed is probably unfair but they've not had success elsewhere so, so you look at Wendell Wendell obviously he's not with the Rays now but Wendell struggled with the A's Margot didn't necessarily get at bats in San Diego and he's had success there Zanino was sort of a, a strikeout machine in Seattle and they've given him sort of a platform um, Mejia was a top prospect bounced around a little um, didn't really get a platform to to play um, and they've given him regular at-bats. G-Man Choi bounced around. I have a feeling G-Man Choi may have even been a Yankee at some point. Maybe Rob. Yeah, very well. yeah, and, yeah. and he went to Milwaukee. 
didn't really get a go in Milwaukee. Yandy Diaz didn't really get a go in Cleveland. So I, I think they've identified all of these sort of players who are good players, who are probably good players in the wrong situation. And they, they sort of bring them together in, in the right situation. And you've also, you, as well as that, you do innovative things. The opener, um, you have no fixed closer. You know, I don't know who's going to be the top six, get, get the most saves to the race this season. It's pretty many one from four or five, isn't it? But you, you kind of do this and you break the, the mould in terms of how to do things, don't you? Yeah, I, I think we've we sort of led the way in breaking in beginning to break walls in baseball i think other teams are, are breaking down other walls now it's sort of been done but for for decades if not 100 years it's just sort of been assumed that you have a starting pitcher for who goes six or seven innings then you have a sort of an eighth inning guy and then a closer whereas it's just sort of, it's as much of an unwritten rule that as it is sort of don't backflip or whatever, but sort of these norms are beginning to be challenged in sort of baseball. Like, why do you do that? Like, for instance, you, uh, the opener is such a simple concept, but one I don't really know why it's never been applied before. Like, if you were to have three pitchers go three innings each, then each round of the lineup sees a different pitcher and you can't get used to it. It's actually quite a, a simple concept and one which makes quite tactical sense. If if a hitter sees a pitcher three times, the the third at bat is going to probably be the best at bat because he's seen eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 pitches already. Um, and I, I think that they're, they're not afraid to think outside the box and I, I don't think they're afraid to be laughed at um, the Rays. Um, and that's, I think that's probably a bit of it. There's, there's quite a lot of Mickey Mouse baseball, as I would sort of call it, and that you just sort of take, take it. Like the, a couple of years ago, Sergio Romo played at third base for half an inning just to come back in and pitch against sort of a, a guy two like two sort of slots further down the order and it's things like that it's sort of thinking outside the box and challenging the norm that's right you do it very well so tell me about last season and what went well what went badly it must have gone quite well because you won 100 games and won the division so um give me kind of a synopsis of the season last season last season was a funny season um for a multitude of reasons obviously it was the first year after covid um I think the offense, the offense was cons- the most consistent it's been in a long time. Um, historically, well, I say historically, in the last three or four seasons, there's there's been a it's been a very streaky and sort of boom or bust lineup of like we could score sixty runs in a week and then we might score fifteen in five days and or a week or whatever and that cold patch didn't really come last year everyone sort of stepped up when it was needed um what offensively were very good um rosarina was brilliant um obviously one al rookie of the year um franco was as advertised he was as 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 good as we were expecting if not better and i think bringing him up bringing him up when we did sort of elevated the team to the next level and it was um it was just an excitement factor it put a spark into the lineup cruise didn't work out that cruise was the big disappointment of the year um brandon lau was excellent brandon lau probably had a uh, career years and nino hit 30 plus home runs um but we had a lot of pitching injuries and i think that's probably why we we sort of tailed off towards the end of the year in um, in the postseason and sort of fell away. We just by the, 
by virtue of, of the way the raised pitching staff is run, you're naturally going to fade away through fatigue at the end of the year. With, with an opener, we use our bullpen more than, than anyone else in the league. Just by actually have three innings a starter, then we're going to go six with a bullpen. And I think that probably hurt us in the postseason just through... There was a number of injuries. We were probably on our second bullpen. After I did have a list of who got injured. And there was Glasnell, Beeks, Poche, Drinos, Drake, Rowe, um, Archer, Hunter, Springs, and Nick Anson. And you, you put all that in, and then you combine it with a, a fatigued bullpen. And I think we just sort of ran out of steam when it mattered um, at the end of the year. But um, it, it's, hard, it's hard to knock because that's why we get where we did. Um, that's why we're in the postseason because the pitching stuff was run like that. Um, and I, I guess you could sort of apply it to the famous Snell decision in the World Series about pulling him. Um, was it the right decision? Probably not. But ultimately, we got to the World Series by running a bullpen and a pitching staff like that. So you can't really complain. Um, it's easy to sort of complain when it doesn't work. But the sole reason we're in the World Series is because we thought outside the box and we pulled pitches off the two rounds of the lineup or whatever. But um, yeah, I, I, th I think it was a, it, obviously it was a very good season, but um, we just ran out of steam towards the end because of injuries and just sort of fatigue, I think. Yeah, so I think that's a fair synopsis. I mean, you mentioned a couple of players there. I mean, Brandon Lau for me kind of epitomizes the race because he's he's a bit of a no name guy, and at times last season he did struggle. He was below the Mendoza line for going into the end of May, I think, and yeah. then he just broke out. In the end, came up with thirty nine home runs, and he, he's a no name guy, but he's extraordinarily effective, um, and he beats up on us quite quite badly, I think. Yeah, um, he had an incredible game at Yankees. I, Towards the end of the season, didn't he? It had was yeah. three home runs a game. That's right, yeah. Touching on another plays you mentioned there, tell me about the wonder of wonder. How, how good can this guy be? Honestly, I, I don't know, and I think that's the that's the big excitement for this year is of finding out how good can he be, and sort of the levels he can reach. Because as a Rays fan, we've never really had a player like him oh, well, not many teams have he, he's that extraordinarily talented Longor is the, the best player we've ever had but he's a very different player to, to Wanda Franco he's, he would hit for average and he would be a, a 25 home run 280 guy with with a great defense it's sort of like the the closest player I could probably liken him to sort of Cole Crawford in terms of average and speed and and power and potential defense and it's I don't know what to expect, and I think that's the exciting thing. Um, you, we've had such a good taste of it already, and it's you, you. The excitement is where does he go with it next? And and undoubtedly, well, hopefully he gets better. Um, I think he will, um, but I don't know. I, the, he could hit thirty home runs. He could hit twenty home runs and three hundred. The sort of the the barometer of his success is is so vast, and I think that's the thing that Rays fans are excited for and the thing that probably gives them the most excitement is we've got Touchwood 12 years of it which well that was the thing that surprised me we did a very unraised like thing in giving this massive extension but selling out 200 million in the process for, for somebody yeah. that young is, is extraordinary yeah it's, it's everything about him is just very unraised we 
we don't have players of his ability. We have players of uh, of not lesser ability, but of much less hype and furore around and actually sort of do your job players of players that play good defense and will play at sort of two or three level war and sort of hit a scrappy 260. We don't have these Tatis, Acuna, Betts type sort of superstars. It's, it's very unknown to us. And we don't, I, I think as Rays fans, we don't really know how to deal with it. It's, um, the future is exciting with him and a Rosarena and, and hopefully we can tie him up as well. Mm-hmm. You'd such an Austin Meadows, and that was the the big news of yesterday that you traded him to Detroit for what looks like a relatively minor return. What what was the reason behind that? I know Meadows dropped off a little bit last year, but before that, he had a couple of seasons when he was you know, very um, a very effective player. So, what what was all that about? Yeah, I, I think. First and foremost, I think Austin Meadows is is a fantastic hitter, um, and I, I'm exceptionally grateful for for what he did with Tampa. Um, but I think he, he, the way the way the Rays run things is very different to how other people run things, and and it sort of goes back to to breaking down the boundaries. We first and foremost, he's not particularly good defensively, um, Meadows, and and we're a team that has has and always will be built upon good foundations of good pitching and good defence. So if if Meadows is going to play, he probably needs to play as a DH. And last year we used, I think it was 14 different DHs, which is incredible and just sort of a, a testament to the way that sort of we construct our lineup. If actually we're going to platoon um, X, Y, and Z hitter because he matches up well with, with the opposing pitcher or whatever. So if we're using this many designated hitters and Meadows is only one of them. There's going to be a strong part of the season or a large part of the season where he probably sits. And if that's 10%, 15%, I'm not sure the Rays want to be paying sort of this rising arbitration cost to a guy who who only plays 130 games or or, or whatever. And I think it, it's probably built upon his diminishing value to the Rays in terms of on the field time and also his offensive contribution. He hasn't hit particularly well the last couple of seasons. He didn't hit very well in the COVID season. He didn't really hit. He had good production last year, but his sort of, his average, his OVP, he wasn't great. And I think you combine these things and they've probably seen that he's maybe at his ceiling now and they're sort of trying to cash in on him. Um, and they've moved it away. Uh, obviously, they've, they've moved him to Detroit <coughs> for... Um, Isaac Paredes, who I won't lie, off the bat, I was quite disappointed and underwhelmed with with the return. Um, but the more and more that I've sort of looked into it and, and have read about it, I, I can see why they've... He, he looks a very raised type hitter. And I think there was only... Yeah. Um, I read online that earlier, there's, there's only seven minor leaguers with a higher WRC plus since 2019 in my minor league baseball. So he's obviously a very good hitter who hasn't quite done it at the major league level. And he's only had 200 at bats at the major league level. So I think going back to sort of my first original point about the Rays, I don't identifying the right player in the wrong situation. Paredes looks like that kind of guy where they can, they can give him a platform to succeed in Tampa. That's. Okay. And on the pitching side, the ones I'd like to focus on, I call the, the two Shanes, and I'm really interested in these guys. I think they're both 
particularly interesting. So we've got Shane McLanahan, who I think started last season, and Shane Baz, who had a couple of starts at the end of last season. Shane Baz came across in the Chris Archer trade, which is the, the trade that keeps on giving, isn't it? Um, so tell, tell me about these guys. I think there's, I think these guys could be really, really good, actually. Yeah, I think so. I think McLanahan is is brilliant, and um, so McLanahan debuted in the towards the end of the COVID season. Might have been even the playoffs. I think. I think he was the he pitched in the World Series, didn't he? Um, yes, he did. Yeah, he was the the youngest player to pitch it, or whatever the stat was. I think. I I think he's phenomenal, and I think he's probably the the next or will be the next one in sort of our great. Um, sort of production of, of pictures of just prospects that we've developed into being good or significantly above average major league pitchers. And I think his fastball is phenomenal. His command is good. Um, he led the staff last year when Glasnow went down. Um, he's, he's sort of mature beyond his years on the mound and he will, he's our opening day starter tomorrow um, or Thursday. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, there was an interview with him during spring training about, uh, is it an honour to to be on opening day? And he said, yes, it is. obviously it's a huge honour to, to lead the Rays, but actually in my young career, I've, I've pitched in a lot bigger games than on opening day, whether it be a World Series or starting in the postseason last year. And I, I like that. He's, um, I think he's, he's very, very good. Um, and like you say, Baz. So Baz was a, a player to be named in in the Arch trade, <laughs> and yeah. it's just sort of um, unfair, really, the trade. And obviously, the trade has has grown wings in the last twenty four hours with Meadows being moved. But um, yeah, so he he came as a, an unranked or an outside the top hundred prospect um, for Archer and progressed through through the top hundred. Um, I think he was ninety three after a year, and then he was sort of top fifteen last year. And, he came up and he only pitched 13 or so innings last year, but he looked every bit. He looked as great, good. didn't he? Yeah, he looked really yeah. Um, and he's got velocity in a command. Um, unfortunately, there were some loose bodies in his elbow this year, which isn't um, obviously the best injury for a young pitcher to be having. Um, but I think there's there's generally good vibes that he'll be back in the next four or five weeks throwing, um, which I, I don't actually think in in the grand scheme it might not be a bad thing because it it naturally limit, limits his innings this year um at a young age um and we're always quite careful with um with these young pitchers but i think if he comes up and particularly without glass now and if and if kluber was to get hurt or or yarber struggles there's quickly a lack of there's only so many times you can roll the opener out in a week or within a short space of time. Someone has to go five or six innings to to make the bullpen tick. Um, and I think it, it is good that his innings might be naturally limited because of this this elbow issue. That's an interesting way of looking at it. What other players are there who we we might want to uh, take a look at this year or who may have an impact? Yeah, so um, Luis Patino pitched um he pitched last year he didn't pitch a great deal um i don't actually know how many innings he pitched i look quick look but he came up and so we got him um from san diego with um mejia and i think he he's very good and he had very good command last year um so he's a he's a righty uh, 77, pitched, 77 innings he pitched yeah 
77 years. So I think his workload will naturally increase this year, particularly with injuries to to Glasnow and to Baz. I think he they'll try and work him with Yarborough, maybe in an opener spot. So Yarborough will pitches from um, the left side and and then some of probably the, the weakest velocity in the league, but has exceptional command. And then what they'll try and do is they'll they'll go three innings of of Yarbrough and then they'll switch it up and say Patino comes in and throws 95, 96, and actually it's chalk and cheese and it's it's light and day. Um so I think he's 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 a name to follow on the mound. Um the bullpen will be good. The bullpen will will feature all of these sort of no-name guys who no one's ever heard of and just comes in and throws 95, 96 and makes people look silly. Um so there's Shagwa. Uh, uh, I like Shagwa. Um, Fire Eisen will be very good. He came across from um, Milwaukee last year for Adames. Um, Drew Rasmussen will start and will be very good. He came across the Adames trade. And I think if you wanted a, a name offensively, um, the obvious one is Josh Lau or Lowe. Um, Josh Lowe, Brandon Lau. Um, and so he, he will likely get the lion's share of at-bats probably in left field with Meadows now gone. Um, so he hit, um, he's, he's an exceptional talent. He's probably our top prospect. Um, he hit, um, what did he hit last year? He hit, uh, so he was our former first round pick. Um, he hit 291 in AAA with 22 home runs and 26 stolen bases. So even if he performs to sort of 50% of that with, with 10 home runs and, and, 13 stolen bases, it's sort of a level of, um, uh, he's still a, a very significant sort of upside player um, and one that will, will be a huge benefit this year. Mm. So tell me about what you expect for this season and if you could sort of tell me what, what, what your divisional predictions are, who's going to finish first, second, third, fourth, fifth in the division this year? Because it's obviously it could be quite tight. Um. I'll start off with the easy one. I think the Orioles will probably finish last. Um, and then I think you could put the, the remaining four in any order, and I don't think anyone would laugh you out of town. I, it's, without question, the best division in baseball, um, top to bottom. I, I don't even think the Orioles are, are that bad. They're that bad because they play in the East. If you were to put them in the AL Central or whatever, they might win. 70 games or whatever, but um, uh, you, you have to feel sorry for them. I think Boston's offense is very good, obviously, with Story joining. Um, the one issue I sort of have with them is they're starting pitching over 162 games. I think uh, it's all right relying on on Wacker or Rich Hill maybe for, for one start a week, but trying to get two starts out of them, I think is, is maybe dangerous, and that's without taking into account the injury to to sale um Eovaldi pitched the best year of his career last year so you would think that he's probably going to regress it's it's very rare someone of sort of his age and with his health history that he goes back to back career years so I just think that there's so many question marks around the Boston pitching so I'll put them fourth um and I'm actually going to put the Rays third I think there's there's um I have a slight worry around our pitching and the longevity of it. And I think, I just think back to last year and our um, fatigue towards the end of the year, everyone had thrown so many innings 
And there's just a lot of question marks. I don't particularly trust Yarbrough that much anymore. I think Kluber, Kluber could be brilliant or he could pitch 50 innings. Like it's going to go one or two ways. Kluber's one of my favourite pitchers ever. So I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm glad we had him last year, but uh, I think you should enjoy him while you can because there may not be too many more years left. Yeah, I, I, I'm chuffed that we've got him. It's just I don't have full trust in the health. Um, and then, and and then you throw in the young guys of they're not gonna, they're not gonna drive them into the ground in McClanahan's second year and Baz's first year, and then you're just down to Patino. The one I wish we didn't trade was Joe Ryan. I think I have a horrible feeling that he's going to come back that we could have really done with him this year um, from the Twins. So I'll go with the Rays third. And then I would have a toss-up between the Yankees and the Blue Jays. I, I find it quite hard to call. I think everyone seems to be down on the Yankees this year, and I'm not really sure why. Um, I, you haven't gained any pitching, which has always been your weakness but the, the pitching you have got has matured um, and you've got the young guys who are going to play more of a role. I like Jordan Montgomery. I think he's good. Um, defensively you've improved with obviously we know Sanchez behind the play. Um, Michelle has gone who I don't really rate defensively um, and I just think you're you've become a lot sounder and um, I just think you're a bit of a better team. And if Judge stays healthy, Stanton stays healthy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're a, it's weird. It's, it's weird to call the Yankees underrated, but I, I think you're in danger of going into the season underrated. You, everyone sort of writes you off as overrated, but you're overrated to the point you're underrated. So come on then, first or second, who's going to get finished where? I would have you as second, but I would give you the better chance in the postseason than the Blue Jays. That's interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I think the Blue Jays will bully everyone with that offense. Um, but then, if you would, you look at their pitching staff in a three-game in a in a DS series, I, I just can't trust them. Like, it, it, for instance, let let's say you've got the Blue Jays against the Yankees in a in a DS or a CS or against the Astros or whoever. I just I can't have Barry Oson. Um, Gorsman and Ryu or whoever you know over a series like if you put it up against Garrett Cole and Garrett Cole gets two starts then there's only going to be one winner I think the Blue Jays are going to be that classic really good um, regular season team but they'll probably fall short in the playoffs that's interesting I mean basically every one of our guests has picked the Blue Jays with them. Um, so let you into a secret and most teams have come with a pretty similar order um, I think the only difference is you've, you're the one who's Tweet the uh, Yankees in the race. The other way around, most most people have said third. Just speaking for one thing, you said about Yashella Yishel, not being that good defensively. He was, I thought, he's quite good, and he did have for me the standout defensive play of last year in yeah. that final game at Yankee Stadium, which is one of the gutsiest plays I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, so where, where he he sold out. Um, yeah, I, I, I was maybe unfair on it, Yashella, because I. I I spent a lot of time researching the Yankees for the magazine and it looked at, it looked for a long part that he was going to play everyday shortstop for them. Mm, yeah. And I couldn't have had him at short. And uh, I like Glaber, but he's, bless him, he's, he's not great defensively. We know. We're fully aware of his, yeah, of his yeah. limitations there. So you, you touched on something there, which is the magazine. I know you, you 
what, what I'd like you to do is finish up with talking about that. And this is a real labour of love for you in, in more ways than one, that this, this annual that you produce every year. So just talk about that and, and what you do and maybe where people can find it if they want to purchase it. Yeah, sure. So um, so each year I, I produce a generally in the region 75 to 80 page magazine, which previews um, the upcoming baseball season. It's got previews of all 30 teams. Um, obviously in in major league baseball and, and a handful of nice features or to go with it and um, this year we've got a, a deep interview with jp fireisen who talks about um his time with wisconsin getting drafted by the indians he was traded from from the indians to the yankees for andrew miller at the deadline um and then he went back to milwaukee um and obviously was traded from milwaukee to to Tampa Bay for Adames last year. So he talks about his whole career and sort of what a uh, how a trade goes down. And there's a good conversation in there he had with Cashman um, on the phone. Um, so that's a cool feature. There's uh, a feature with a, a former MLB umpire, Dale Scott. So he he's called he called the 2001 World Series after 9/11. Um, he's called three World Series. He's called a, a number of no hitters. And there's a really cool interview with him talking about his career and and concussions and how he got into baseball and, and what in, um, umpiring the, these historic games was like. And then there's a ton more. There's, there's stuff from Ryan and um, uh, Pete from baseball, um, Roto Brits. Roto Brits, so that they provide a, a feature on um, on the fancy stuff. But um, it's all in aid of Princess Alice Hospice. Um, I lost my mum uh, two years ago to a brain tumour. She worked for Princess Alice Hospice um, when she was healthy and then was later um, cared for there by the nurses before her passing at 53 in 2020. So um, it's just my way of sort of giving back to um, just a very good cause and and doing something which I enjoy. Um, so I had the magazines delivered today. I've posted all of our orders out today. Yours is on its way, Mark. So um where can, where, where can people get it and how much does it cost and uh, like you say all the proceeds do go to to the hospice don't they yeah so so the magazine doesn't turn out with two pounds fifty for for postage so um like i say all, all the proceeds go to princess alice you can find it on um my website www.4-bases.co.uk um i will emphasize that stock is limited in the the hard copies because it's already gone to print i've already got them in hand but um there will be a digital download um pdf format so you, you pay your your 10 pounds and it, it's emailed to you straight away so you can have all of that um emailed directly to you so yeah if you are um interested then uh yeah please do purchase a copy it's such a wonderful cause and um it has been a labor of love for the last four months i know you've lived and breathed this and i know you have and i'd strongly recommend it i bought the last two editions um so if you're out there, do go and check it up on uh, 4-bases.co.uk. It's it's a really good read, and uh, uh, I can tell that you really pour yourself into it quite a bit. Yeah, so. it's been a it's been a challenge this year with with the lockout. I, I had as much done as I could, and then obviously the lockout came, and then um, no one really knew if baseball was going to return and when it would return, and. And then when it did return, there was probably more trades than there has been in the last four years within sort of three days. So yeah. team previews were ripped up and yeah. Must have been a nightmare. Anyway, Joel, thanks for your time. Really appreciate that. Um, and that, that's been really good. So th thanks for giving up your time tonight.
No worries at all. Thank you very much um, for having me, Mark. And um, yeah, good luck this year, but I guess not too much good luck. Yeah, okay, we wouldn't read it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Cheers.